Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organisational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organisational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Welcome back. Um, today we're going to be talking about pivots, business pivots and organisational pivots and I've got with me uh, Paul Avins, who's a long-time friend. Um, welcome Paul. Hi Dave, great. Thanks for having me on the show man. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so uh, Paul, can you just kick off by just introducing yourself and telling us what you do? Sure. Um, yeah. So um, obviously, you and I have known each other, I don't know, probably about 10 years now, I would think. Yes, I would um, but for the last 17 years, I've been helping uh, entrepreneurs, business owners to build um, what we call kind of grown up businesses. So really going through the stage of how to start, scale up and build a grown up business, as I like to refer to it. Um, so I've been business coaching, consulting, training, running masterminds, um, really for the last 17 years, particularly masterminds. The F12 mastermind now has been running for eight years in the UK. Um, but before that I was an entrepreneur. So I, I was an entrepreneur first and then I came to the industry of coaching, consulting and training really out of a passion to serve and to help people having, you know, started and uh, run five businesses, three successfully, um, and two spectacularly not successfully, um, which taught me a huge amount. And, uh, you know, and I had a passion to really go and share people, share with people and stop people experiencing some of the pain that I'd been through on that journey. But also really just a fascination as to why is it some businesses seem to succeed and thrive and do stunningly well when other businesses in the same industry just, you know, struggle and fall over. And what is the difference that makes the difference? So uh, for me, that's kind of been a question that's driven me the whole of my, my kind of career up to this point. So um, obviously during that, that 17 year period, we've had a number of recessions during that period. We've had a number of crises, um, all kinds of things that we've had to help navigate clients through um, and support them. And it's just, it, it, I became really fascinated with this whole concept of uh, agile, not just agile businesses, but also how, how do you pivot? How do you really kind of, what have we done over the years that's worked? And then obviously when your research came out, I was like, oh, this is interesting because there's research that actually substantiates some of the things that I've been seeing over the last 17 years that work. And sadly, and this is the sad thing, I think, is that too many business owners try and figure it out through trial and error. Mm. And, and having done trial and error myself, it's a very expensive, painful way to learn anything. So anytime there's data or research that you can interpret, and I think that's always the challenge for business owners is they're too busy in what I call the, the head down space of just trying to survive to spend the time to look up and, and go, hang on a second, are we actually doing the right things? Yeah. You know? um, so like, yeah, any opportunity mm -hmm. to share some of those insights to your audience who's listening to this and, and to serve them and, and you know, to help, then great, I'm, I'm happy to share. Yeah, and that, that's exactly why I wrote the book about pivots and, and what the research is saying. So, yeah. um, Paul, you know, you've had direct contract, you know, obviously you've had your own businesses and you've had direct contact with kind of thousands of businesses, kind of from one person band type jobs right up to multi-million pound operations um, right. that, I'm, uh, just, that I'm aware of. So just for you, um, yeah. from your experience, what does a pivot actually mean? So I think... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate. Today, today, as well as the coaching business, I own a, a team training and uh, 
consultancy and profiling com company, as well as a, a digital online digital marketing agency as well. So, you know, I've got three different businesses that I run, but I think the key thing here is I think people need to be aware there's a difference between a pivot and a dash for cash. And let me explain what I mean by this, because I think sometimes people assume it's a pivot when it isn't, it's a dash for cash. Mm. So like if we take a really good example in the last couple of months. So um, when the coronavirus hit and I've got a client who is in the optics field um, and they had a great distribution network in China and what they were able to access PPE equipment really well, really fast, really early in the cycle. And they were able to get in, leverage those contacts. And uh, whilst their, their normal business you know, couldn't really function at the same level because obviously all, their reta all the retailers are shut down, there was going to be this demand for PPE equipment as, as businesses started to open back up. Um, and they were able to get in there because of their network. They were able to source really high quality product and they were able to get it into the UK and they were able to actually get onto the uh, approved supplier list for some of the, the major hospitals. And they were able to, to sort and serve people at a higher level. And that's important. Um, it wasn't just about making a profit, it was about serving people, which is, you know, for them was a really key part. But the reality was that was never going to be a sustainable long-term pivot. That was a that was a short-term opportunity to fill a real urgent need in the marketplace, to leverage some contacts and to generate some revenue and you know some probably not massive profits, but to be able to generate profits where the you know the business would previously have not been able to generate anything during lockdown. Now the reality is that market is now pretty much collapsed. It's oversupplied. Everything's become commoditized. There's no there's the very little margin in it now because everybody's piled in. So, you know, they, as I said to them at the time, I said, listen, you've probably got, you know, maybe 60 days where you're ahead of the curve because of your relationships. So you can get in, serve people, uh, make a difference, make some money and then get out. It's not a long term sustainable pivot. Right. It's just an opportunity in the short term. Yeah. I think sometimes there's a difference here between, you know, as I would say, the money is always moving and, and pivots. Pivots are about when you find that new source of flow, that new source of cash flow. So if you, if you assume like in any market, if you look at a market, um, sometimes the money's there and then the money moves. You've, and the pivot is really just relocating where the money's gone to and then supplying products and services that go to where that need is. So if you've got, if you've got the mindset that the fact that things are always moving, that the money's moving, then you're able to see pivots as just moving ahead of where the money's going to go next. Yeah. And the truth is that it's got to have a level of sustainability. So it's not a short term thing. You know, it's going to last for at least, you know, a couple of years or so. The reality is, so you're able to build repeat customers out of that. It's not a kind of one time sell and then get out. That's not a pivot. That's mm. a dash for cash. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of following the market and being flexible enough to work out where the market's going and being able to keep up with it rather yeah. than kind of going out of going out of business because you stay with a market that's actually dying. Yeah, I think there's also a difference here between um, pivot and what you do and how you do it. So mm. let me give you a good example, right? So um, in my own world, obviously the minute, uh, you know, F12 uh, mastermind, we met in London in March, but then there was a lockdown literally the week after we met, which meant we couldn't meet. So we're not going to meet in April, May and June. Um, obviously, you might hear some noise behind me. They're taking the marquee down from yesterday where we met in a marquee outside my house. They were able to actually hold it outside in a marquee yesterday. But the reality was in the interim, we had to figure out how to deliver the value. Um, and then we obviously moved to platforms like Zoom and, and models like that. Now, that wasn't a change in what we did. What we did was still the same. We were still coaching, training, empowering people and supporting them. 
but how we did it shifted. Now, that, in my mind, that's not a pivot. That's more just a shift in how you deliver the value as yeah. opposed to a, a true pivot, if that makes sense, right? Yes. So for me, that's not a pivot. And lots of people have been posting us, seeing people go, oh, we've pivoted to online. No, no, you just <laughs> shifted how you're doing what you were doing. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a pivot, right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're just doing it differently, that's not a true pivot in my mind. Yeah. True pivot involves value creation, um, and it involves this ability to kind of go, look, we can go from value creation to value realization. Mm-hmm. We're able to create it and realize the value. Um, and if you've already got a good model for creating value and realizing it, you just might be shifting the way you're realizing the value. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and one of the things that's kind of come out of the research is this kind of clarification of, 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 of what a pivot, which is really seen, as I say, from a research point of view, as kind of a primary method of moving a business into a new direction. Yeah. Um, in effect, it's it's what we call a, um, a strategic um, reorientation, um, and it usually either re- entails kind of repositioning the direction and the aims and the goals of the business or the organisation, kind of creating and testing uh, a new direction which is fundamentally different from the original one, yeah. and strategically realigning the business or organisation with current market forces, you know, as you say, following the money and the needs of, of, of well, society, but also yeah, the, the demand, needs for the businesses. So, yeah. so um, let me, I'm a great believer in trying to make things real and tangible. Mm. Because yeah. I think the challenge is sometimes with uh, research is it becomes quite uh, intellectual and theoretical and you go, yeah, but how does that actually really work? Um, so I'll give you, an, yep. give you another example from an F12 client of ours. So they were in the event space. So, so in February, they had a really full events, uh, you know, calendar, right? They're building exhibition stands. They're doing, you know, full on um, events for clients. Obviously, the minute the COVID hits, that entire order book disappears. Like you're talking about millions of pounds of revenue that just disappear. Hmm. So the question then becomes, okay, the first thing I think, and this is a critical piece, is you've got to do it an internal audit. Right. Yep. So there's no, you know, what are the internal skills of the organization? What is the ability that the organization has to create value? Mm. And then ask the question, how could we redeploy those skills, capabilities and resources to create value where there is a different demand? And what they did was go, look, where's the demand shift? Well, suddenly everyone's working from home, which means, OK, there's a massive demand now for people to have at home desks, you know, how to work at home desks. There's a massive demand for people to have laptop, de- you know, like da- laptop stands that I'm on now, actually, that can actually go on top of um, a normal desk so that you can have a standing up desk at home. Now, they're able to manufacture all of that in-house. They've got the capability. They've got the raw materials. So there wasn't an issue with supply chain because they already had it in stock. Um, and they're 100% environmentally and re- 100% recyclable, which is a big trend. Obviously, everyone wants to get back to being that. So they were able to, um, the first pivot was to do that. They moved into that market really early. They were, and they made, they made, they started making a lot of money. They're actually able to bring back everybody off furlough to actually meet the demand that was generated. And then the next demand that was obviously going to come through was the, the Perspex screens for shops uh, and offices as they started to open up. And again, they, were, they had supply, they were able to create it, and they were able to create the first 100% environmental, environmentally friendly Perspex screen, which at the end of it, if you want, you can send back to them and get you know, broken down and reused again. So, yeah. it, and they were able to come out with that ahead of the curve. We helped them build a, an online sales funnel for it. 
and we were able to launch and this is a key as well we're able to launch really quickly to test the demand before they manufacture the product you actually test the demand will yes. people pay for it mm. and yeah absolutely and then you go out and then you build a distribution network and you partner with people and next thing you know they they want to uh, contract uh, with i can't tell you who but with a major sporting organization for uh, you know for six figures um and you know you go well none of that existed you know four weeks ago but it's that ability to go what have we got what are we good at where is there a need and how can we create value and then realize that value rapidly and yeah. then scale it yeah it's yeah so there's this organizational flexibility that's the the heart yeah. of um of a pivot which because uh, as you say it's not just like a short-term thing usually what a, you know a proper pivot is talking about here is we're reorganizing the kind of structures the systems the production and the procedures yeah. in order to shift so yeah. it's a it's a it's a longer term thing yeah yeah and i think you know that doesn't if you take the examples of the screens it's interesting because you know obviously initially there was a massive amount of people wanting screens for retail and offices and stuff now that demand's starting to drop off obviously mm. now is that a dash for cash maybe but actually the pivot is more about creating environment they've shifted the messaging of the company to be look we're experts in creating environmentally friendly 100 recyclable products that keep your employees and customers safe so that's yeah. the pivot that they've gone on they're not just going you know we used to be an exhibition company no now we're a company that creates and manufactures 100 recyclable products that keep your employees and your customers safe so that's a different that's the strategic pivot uh, the product mix is going to change inside that over time, of course. Um, but that's the, that's the strategic messaging and now customers go, okay, I get, I get what you do. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's having this, as I would say, you know, it's having this uh, strategic, but also the resource flexibility to be able to do that. And yeah. quite a lot of that's about the mindset of the people within the organization and whether they're open to change, uh, yeah. and whether the, the, the founders or the actual organizations are open to change. Uh, are able to actually be flexible um, and quickly. Yeah, and I think um, what's interesting with that one as well is is I think it depends. You know, I've got a passion for profiling, as you know, and uh, within the profiling company that I own, um, it depends on what someone's profile is as to how how easy they are to adapt to change and pivot, and whether they're resistant to that change and whether they fight it. And I yeah. also think there's a there's a mindset here, which is some people. Uh, you know, I'm sure you, you and I remember the great book Who Moved My Cheese. You know, there's, if you haven't read it, but the whole idea of, look, someone's moved the cheese and, and some people just have a strop about the fact that the cheese has moved and other people go look for the new cheese. And mm. I think the challenge is when it happens as fast as it sometimes does in markets and in, and in COVID's a great example, although we had a great example in 2008 with the economic crisis, it, it happened so fast. Some people, some business entrepreneurs and some uh, experts and, and uh, senior managers in, in companies they can't they can't kind of deal with how rapid that change happens yep. and they find it very hard to adjust uh, and accept the reality that there's a new world right now and you've got to change that you know that's some people can do that easier than others and i think it does depend a lot on your profile to be honest with you i think as to whether you you're somebody who can do that fast or you're and that's where the the key is to ask for help either from experts or consultants or people who who can come in and go look I can help you make that change because that's what I do. I'm a change facilitator. Or, you know, that's, that's part of what I do. But it's also about having someone else to, to, to shift your thinking. It's hard yeah. to do it on your own, I think. 
Yeah, I think it is. And I, I, well, we, you know, so some of the research that I was involved in the, the kind of um, 90s um, around what we call tolerance for uncertainty, probably yeah. only about 2% of the population are really comfortable with uncertainty and kind of what people would describe chaos, like really comfortable so that they enjoy it. And they're, what, the, the kind of inveterate learners, what they do is they trying to work out what the reality is and they make this assumption that they don't know as right. opposed to other people who are trying to make the reality what they want it to be, which is a very different kind of perspective. I and mean, we get this whole kind of range of range of people. And, and so right at the bottom of this, and this, you're talking about profiles, is this idea of people's tolerance for uncertainty. Uh, and also, as you were saying, the kind of speed of it interesting yeah. really interesting so so what what are the kind of range of pivots that you've seen over the years i um i mean we've seen i mean so depend i mean i'll give you an example i suppose for a couple of examples i mean they've seen so many different pivots in terms of you know that was a manufacturing example i gave you before mm. obviously professional services uh you know in terms of pivoting around around some of those kind of things I'll give you an example so i've got a client of mine who uh, runs English language schools and training in the holidays for students from uh, from Italy, from China, uh, and from all over the world, really, Brazil as well. Um, obviously, when the lockdown happened there is a good example because suddenly nobody was traveling and nobody was coming. But you've got this audience, and I think it's a key thing is to understand who your audience is as well. You have this audience of teachers who would normally come with their students to the UK who were who were stuck at home and who were essentially in, in this position of not having any support. So when you, when you come from it from a place of like, who are we trying to serve? Who are we trying to look after? Who are we trying to support? You know, they were able to very quickly reach out to that community and, and you know, build a, a Facebook group of, um, I think it was about 1500 teachers globally who were English teachers who'd never had any formal training in how to teach English. They were bringing the kids to the UK and then actually run training courses to train teachers. So teach training courses online. That turned into a whole business of itself. And now, you know, they've got they've got online products, they're creating digital revenue globally. Um, you know, and when the market comes back and people are able to come back to the UK, that that will just be another layer of, of value creation um, and multiple streams of income that sits on top of the existing business. So that that was really a question of just understanding you know who's who's in need of support right now and and what could we do to support that community in a way that would at the same time serve but also generate cash for us as well and that's that's kind of a, a key thing i think is a is, is to learn quickly i think the research brought that out is about your ability to how quickly can you learn a yeah. new set of skills because you know they were not an online business they were a physical location-based business generating money with you know uh, taking schools in the summers or taking universities and now and they had to shift to being an online membership and online training business now that pivot requires a huge amount of skill development uh, retraining of a team and also an ability to learn a whole brand new business model oh, yeah. and i think sometimes pivot you know and hats off to to the member of f12 celine bless her give her a name check um who who you know she committed to learning like intense learning for two or three months to figure out how to do this um, and learn this entire business model. So I think part of, you know, when you ask, what have I observed? I think the thing I would say I've observed the most is that the, the business owners or the leaders or the senior managers who are prepared to learn new skills, to, to harness new opportunities, they're the ones that seem to pivot more successfully than people who go, look, I've got this skill set and I want it to work over here. Sometimes you need to realize 
actually the current skills you've got are not the skills you're going to need for a successful pivot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and, and when you look at some of the really famous pivots, you know, Slack is a really yeah. nice one, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the founder of that, Butterfield, he, he set out with a games company um, and he, he had to build something so that all his software people who were spread out because he was using a kind of distributed network of software people, he wanted them all to be able to communicate. Um, and he built something for that to happen, and the game didn't, I think it was called Never Ending, um, didn't really take off. Um, so he then built another, um, a, another game, uh, and that didn't go. And then he started to realize he had this communications tool on his, uh, on his hands. And yeah. um, he kind of pivoted that from, uh, the second game was called Glitch, I think, which is a nice name. Um, he then... <laughs> Um, pivoted to Slack. Slack now, 2020. Business, right? it, yeah, it's worth about $5.1 billion. But I think that goes back to an important point, I think, which is um, Slack was, my take on that would be Slack solving a problem. Mm. Right? So Slack is solving a real problem for businesses. And I think this is a key thing with Pivot as well. And we were talking about this yesterday at F12. We're saying that the fastest way to, to, to really kind of change your business, and so we could use pivot in that word, is that is to change your customer. So he had a beat, you know, with the games, that's B2C, and you're selling something people want, or may, may or may not want. Whereas yeah. actually, when, you, when he pivoted, he pivoted his customer as much as anything in terms of going, look, actually, we're going to sell to businesses who have a definable problem yeah. and actually will pay us, pay to solve that problem. Yeah. And I think if you're going to successfully pivot, you've got to ask the question, who is, who is the customer and has it, has it changed? And do we need to change our customer? Yeah. Because quite often the most successful pivots have come when businesses change who they're selling to. Hmm. That, and, and then they sort because they're able to solve a much more valuable problem. And that's a great example of it. Yeah. You know, the games, selling a game, you're not solving a massive problem for a consumer. You, you're trying to create a demand, but you're not solving a massive problem. But that, the yeah. business who had a communication problem, you're solving a huge problem. Therefore, people will pay you a lot more money for it. So uh, successful pivots usually, in my experience, um, get really clear about uh, it involves changing a customer to some extent in terms of who they're, who they're serving and who they're selling and, and who they're actually trying to do business with. It can fundamentally shift it. I mean, it's no difference from the... Um, exhibition company they were busy they went the other way they were b2b and then they went b2c uh, business to consumer selling you know desks for homes and then you know that was a, that was a pivot into a different customer segmentation yeah 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 and it, again it's it's going back to this thing about moving into a completely different market yeah. um, and changing everything you know the structure that and goes back to that whole idea of kind of organizational flexibility brilliant okay great is this um, helpful by the way is it is it because i think it, hopefully it's bringing it alive for people listening to this in terms of going because I, I think sometimes you hear i'll oh, change the market and it's so oh, what does that mean it's like no just just change your customer think about who it's go back to that question is like who do we need to serve who's got a problem right now that we we have the skills capability to actually be able to help hmm. like yeah. for me if you ask that question it's usually going to throw up way better answers than like what are we trying to sell yeah, yeah. So the, the, there are generally two types of pivot. There, there are kind of iterative pivots that are the kind of um, smaller ones, and they're kind of focused on kind of 
improving our market positioning um, and, and they tend to be triggered by kind of competitor moves or yeah. you know, technological developments and things or complete pivots of the type that we're talking about here where we move into a completely different space. The business model is different. The whole thing is different because we've had this realization and we completely move into a totally different space. Um, and uh, I think you can see that a lot. I think if you, so, so look, I mean, the way I would interpret that is if you look at a lot of retailers at the moment, you've seen a lot of retailers do iterative pivots into shifting online, closing, closing stores in the high street and moving everything online. That that's to me, that's kind of like the existing, what you're selling isn't changing and even what you, who you're selling to isn't mm. changing. So it's more of a iterative kind of like we're, we're just changing the leverage model, how we're actually mm. delivering the products or service. Um, that would be my take on it anyway, I think. Yeah. No, no, I would agree. Definitely, definitely. Cool. So in, just in your experience, you know, yeah. what is it that pushes an entrepreneur or a business owner into doing a, a, a pivot and, and, and then seek help? Um, yeah, good question. I think uh, there's two things, really. It's usually pain. It's usually life suddenly got very painful and uh, they've suddenly got a, a level of pain that's got their attention. I'd say that's one. Uh, or fear, if I was going to say. I think there's two things that drive people to do pivots. It's either the fear of realization that if I don't pivot, I'm not going to have a business in 90 days time. Uh, or the pain of actually the money's moved. I haven't. We've got our sales funnels drying up. We, we're going to have a cash flow crisis or we've got a cash flow crisis. And actually, we need to figure out how to fix that. So it's usually one of those two things in my experience. Um, the sad fact is, I think not enough people reach out for help. I, I, I think that's that's that, that's a, a fundamental thing. I, I struggled, I think, my whole career. I, I've, I've, I said the other day uh, that... Um, most business owners will pay more money to learn how to get taught to drive a car than they will to get paid to get taught to how to how to pivot their business or learn to to build a successful business and that's never really made any sense to me most you know for me the most successful people i've had the privilege of working with and i've worked with some incredibly successful entrepreneurs right and like millionaires and multimillionaires and some people who've just come out of the gate swinging and done really well the thing is that they've they've been smart enough to know they don't know what they don't know yeah. And that whole kind of look, be addicted to learning. It's like, look, the game is constantly changing. And if you're not constantly um, staying sharp, sharpening your saw, learning new skills, understanding how it's change, changing, and you're not growing as a, as a leader, your organization is fundamentally going to get stuck at some point. Um, and I think that most people get to the point where they, they're desperate for solutions. And that always, and if somebody comes to me and says, listen, well, we've got a problem with our business. We're about to run out of money in 90 days. Can you help us? And I'm like, well, the honest answer is you should have come and talked to me a year ago when you, you, you had warning signs this was going to happen because I'm, you know, you, you can't always, there aren't silver bullet solutions if to some businesses, they're just too late. Some people come too late for help. So I think for me, it's like, look, the first sign that you've got a challenge and you might need to pivot is when you should ask for help. Do not wait until it's the last gasp because most people can't, you know, you can't pivot most businesses when they're less than 60 days away from going broke. It's hard, to, it's incredibly hard to do it. Now you can, but it, it requires a level of skill that, that most people in my experience don't have to pull off on their own. Because at that point, it's like you get one thing wrong and you're gonna, get, you're gonna be wiped out. So for me, it's like, look, ask for help early in the, in the process. The, 
And, and I, I, there's a phrase I said that if, if you're not prepared to break your own business model, if you're not looking at it going, how do I need, how, how would I compete with myself? Right. If I was my competition, how would I beat me? Right. And then, then set about re-engineering your business model so that it, it, you, you're better than you are and you, and you stop that happening. Because nine times out of 10, the people that come into your market and are going to cash you out or the pivots you're going to need are going to come because you didn't see something coming. Yeah. Right. Most pivots are caused not because of the stuff you can see strategically. It's the stuff you never saw coming. That's what causes a pivot my, in my experience. Right. Yeah. So it's like the minute it happens, you've got to go, right. Who can ask for help on this? Who, who's been here before? Who's got mm. a model? Who's been through this before? I mean, just, just to give you an example, right. So yesterday in our, in our meeting here in our marquee, <laughs> right. We had like, um, I think it was four of the members in the room shared how, uh, last month was their best month ever. Like not just in the crisis, but ever. And some of those businesses have been in business three, five, 10 years. And it's, it's a mindset thing as well, Dave. I think in terms of going, look, you can either see something as a crisis or as an opportunity. That's a mindset. And it entirely yeah. goes into where, where you're prepared to put your energy and focus. If yeah. you choose to see it as a, as a crisis, uh, you know, you're, you're going to struggle because mentally you're going to be in that fear mindset. If you see it as an opportunity, you're going to go, we have an opportunity to redesign the business. We have an opportunity to take it back to basics, which is something most of the clients who've been really successful over the last three or four months that I work with have done is that we've, we've used the opportunity, not just to pivot, but to go back to core. Like what is the core engine that drives the business? What is the core product that actually we, we need to sell to really engage customers? And it's like some of us, the pivot comes from go back to core first and that's where the strength is and then pivot off that, that core, which is your strength. Yeah, yeah, I would go with that. And there's an interesting thing that's kind of come out of the research. In fact, I was doing a, a, an interview with a, a researcher from America, um, uh, Reagan Stevenson, and they did some um, really interesting research looking at entrepreneurs and found that <clears throat> contrary to what everybody believes about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are particularly bad at making pivots. Um, largely because what they do is they identify their business with themselves. It kind of becomes a, a part of their identity. Yep. And they find it very hard to move out of that identity. And, yep. and because it's part of their identity, they stick with a business and a business idea and a model way longer than they should do. Um, yeah. And the, it's a very small percentage of entrepreneurs, actually, who are the kind of masters of pivoting. Well, I think that's, that's, I'm really fascinated by that because it goes back to something I've always taught, which is, is about your identity. What's your identity? So mm. if you come in, if you, you know, and people quite often when they join like one of my mastermind programs, I know you've been in one, they, they come in with the identity of I'm a business owner, right? Which, which puts them in the operational mindset. I run mm. the business. And I say, when you start to see yourself as a business builder, right? And this is the business you're currently choosing to build. There's a, then, then you're less emotionally attached to it because you're going, I'm a business builder. This is the one I'm building right now. Mm. And it might have a lifespan of five years. It might have a lifespan of 10. It might have a lifespan of three, you know, and I've got a client yesterday who's busy. He's had a business for 20 years. He's done great out of it, right? He's done really mm. well. He's made really good money. The challenge is, and he said it yesterday in the room, is that the, the industry he's in is contracting at a rate of 40% a year. Now, at some point, you've got to go, this is not an easy place to build a business anymore. This is just going to get harder and harder. And actually, I just need to be accepting of the fact that the money is moved. And mm -hmm. if I'm a business builder, not a business operator, 
it's that different mindset, then I need to go look for the next opportunity. Yeah. And, and that's, that I, I think it's fascinating because I think it's, it's that the minute you get stuck in that, I own this business. No, you, you, you're operating this business. If yeah. you're a business builder, then you'll build multiple businesses. Some will fail, some will succeed, some will be amazing. Mm. Right. But yeah. it's really, what's your identity? And I think identity for me drives behavior. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and if you're an ego, let's be honest, Dave, look, if you start your business on your own, you've got to have a healthy amount of ego or you wouldn't try it, right? Hmm. So, yeah, we, we yes. want to be right. <laughs> we we want to be right. You know, hmm. uh, you know, when I had a business failure six years ago, it's the hardest thing in the world to deal with because you like you, you have to admit to yourself that you got it wrong. And that's hard. That's really hard. Because like, you hmm. know, you've got to admit you don't know it all. And that's the thing that it's like the people who in my mind succeed and pivot the most of the ones that go, I'm happy to accept. I don't know. it. I don't know everything. And, and therefore I'm going to stay in that learning mode. And yeah. that's, that's, that's what leads to successful pivots in, in my experience. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. And, and, and certainly one of the things that we're, we're kept, well, a couple of the things that we're, we're seeing coming out of the, the, the kind of research on pivots is, is that, that that decision to pivot is as you were saying the kind of fear factor is 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 largely based on on three aspects you know how big the threat is yeah because it needs to be big enough to push us out of our a the comfort zone but also our out of our mindset and this sense of ownership but we also have this sense and i've done this in the past where you think i've put all this work into this i don't want to lose it yeah so we kind of hold on to it the second one, which is an even bigger factor, is how immediate the loss is going to be. And, and that's, that's been shown to be quite a, a, a really big, important factor in this. So, like, how much runway have I got? Like, am I facing disaster in, in the immediate future or longer? And what we see is people got a longer runway tend to delay the um the, the decision to pivot and then lastly just about how much uncertainty there is about, about the future and their own tolerance of uncertainty um, and yeah. if they don't have a lot of tolerance of uncertainty then it becomes a bit of an issue can, yeah. yeah i love that by the way and i love that can i talk to two can i just talk to yeah two of course yeah like so, this concept of sunk costs catches a lot of entrepreneurs out mm. um but i'll give i'll give an example of like one of the most gutsy experiences I ever had with a client who was confronting this. <laughs> Can you hear all that in the background or is it just me? Is no, I can't hear it. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so um, the, we, I, was, I was doing a three-day leadership retreat for a software company. Um, and on day two, we were having a conversation about product development and product roadmaps and what we were looking at and where, and, and, you know, where was the future of the market going and all those kind of good things. And... Um, the, the topic for discussion for the session of the day was, what are we going to do with this particular product? And um, the company had sunk about half a million pounds into developing the product, but it still wasn't right. It still wasn't great. It, you know, and all those kind of things. <laughs> anyway, during the course of that conversation, I asked the question, you know, if, you know, how much is it going to take to get this product to market and get it, get it monetized and get it making money. And they were like, well, it's going to cost at least another two, 300,000. So you can pretty much accept it's going to cost a million quid by the time you're all done. And I went, right, if you had half a million quid or 300,000 pounds to invest somewhere else in the business, where would you put it and what would it do? And they had all the answers to that question, right? We'd put it here, it would grow this market, we'd go into the US, we'd do this, we'd do it. They knew all the answers to that. So I'm like, so, so I said, why are we fighting keeping this thing alive 
if 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 we know that it's going to take 300,000 pound more and it's not really what you want to do and where you want to put your energy and and the md said because it's half we spent three years and half a million quid i said yeah but it's sunk cost right i said it's gone and um and there's a great quote by Tim Ferriss, from, who the author of the four hour work week, which I love. He said, and this is so powerful. He said, the big shift happened for him once. He said, when you realize that the way you sometimes lose money is not the way you have to make it back. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we had this conversation and in fairness to the board, fair credit to the owners as well. The owners just went, do you know what? Kill it. Like kill it. Let's just, let's just kill it right here, right now in the room. And I remember the board and the senior management team being like, are you serious? We spent three years on this. They were like, look, we have, there's no point coming away for a three day strategic planning event unless we're prepared to have the courage to, to make brave decisions. Right. Mm. And it's a sunk cost. It doesn't matter. It's gone. It's like you've spent it. It's gone through the business. It's been, and it isn't delivering value. And I think some of it is like knowing when to quit, yeah, you know, and I think definitely. too many of us get, the, the, there's the kind of, sort of um, motivational stuff that drives me crazy when people go, oh, winners don't quit. No, sometimes you need to quit. Sometimes stuff is just not going to work and you got to get out of it and get into something that's better. And they took the 300,000 pounds, they were going to invest in that, put it into a different part of the business, create an entirely different division within 12 months that made them twice what they had lost in that you know venture before. Yeah. And I think you've got to have a you got to have the ability to not fear shifting out of something that isn't working to, to finding something that could work better. And the sunk cost keeps us trapped mentally because we go, I don't want to lose the money. When you realize it's already lost, it's gone, it's mm. done. And you know, yeah. it happens to us all, me included, right? We mm. had to close an office in Australia in the last three months because it just, the you know, person there got ill, got sick. It was sunk cost. doesn't matter. And I remember my finance lady getting, Heart, like literally, she go, we, we put some money in. It doesn't matter. We, it's done, right? We, it's, it's, it's now about energy. Where are we going to put our energy? And I think that's, if you're going to pivot, you've got to ask the question about what do we need to stop spending time, energy, and, and resources on in order to put the energy and resources into what's going to work? Yeah. Because actually, sometimes it is about re getting rid of clutter to focus on actually what's going to move the needle. And I yeah. think. I love your point about delayed consequences because it, you know, my, you know, I like health and fitness is a big thing in my life. And I would say if you went to a, a fast food joint and, the, and you got sick 24 hours after eating an unhealthy meal, you would stop eating unhealthy food. And that is so true because the you know, success is small steps and failure is small steps. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's, that's, definitely. The, that's the catch. <laughs> yeah, there's actually two other things that are happening here. So I was doing some work with the NHS um, a couple of years ago. Um, so there's this, this, this kind of two concepts that help here. One is um, what we call uh, cognitive tunneling. So we get caught in this pipeline of thinking because we're heading in a certain direction. And right. all the thinking stays in that kind of pipeline. And then we also get what we call decision-making um, uh, pipelines. So for example, you go to the doctors and yep. the first doctor diagnoses you with, I don't know, diabetes, and then sends you to a consultant. The consultants looking at you through the lens and down this pipeline of diabetes and right. all of their decision-making is in this pipeline. And we see the same with projects. And, right. and that kind of um, these decision-making pipelines, you can get an awful long way down the pipeline before somebody goes, actually, the original diagnosis may not be right. This may not be right. 
whatever it happens, you know, this may not be diabetes, for example. And the same thing happens in organizations. They make a decision that X is going to run, that we're going to do this. And everybody inside that pipeline is now trying to make that work. And what they're not doing is looking at it from the outside or looking out to what's happening. And they end up just wandering down this pipeline. And, and it's the same in businesses. You know, we are a, again, this identity, we are a publishing company or we are a manufacturing company or we are, we do cars or whatever it happens to be, which pushes us into this pipeline. And one of the things that's very strong in the research is that that kind of thinking really goes against um, pivots and, and gets people to be, you know, really slow in making a pivot. I love that. That's amazing. I love that. Actually, I'm going to borrow that and use that if that's okay with you, because I love that. But I think it also speaks to a point in the research that came out, which is organizations that successfully pivot seek outside help. Uh, and I think that's, that's probably how you overcome that, because you, yeah. you get someone else who comes back in and goes, could we go back to the original question that, that led us down this tunnel in the first place? Like, why do we ask it? And why do we go that way? Yeah. And somebody who comes in and, and almost comes in and, and I like to say, it's like my job sometimes is to ask the dumb question. It's like, well, why did we do that in the first place? And somebody goes, well, because, and then, and then we're now we and, and you go, well, yeah, but that's, that's based on a whole bunch of assumptions that are no longer true. So it's like, yeah. sometimes I think the only people who can do those kind of questions and come in is that external consultants or external advisors because they walk in without any of the preconceived baggage or beliefs and they're not emotionally invested, right? I, it yeah. doesn't matter to me whether or not this project's been running for five years or three years. I haven't got that investment mm. of time and relationship in it. I've come in to just fix it and get it working. And therefore, you know, our ability to go, look, I just want to ask the, the right question to get, I don't come with that tunnel vision. I think that's a brilliant insight. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, you know, this couples with a number of things, you know, I was talking about that 2% are really good with uncertainty because they don't make those assumptions about what they know. They, they yeah. assume they don't know what they do is they collect information from this variety of sources, kind of 360, you know, including the cleaners. What are you seeing? Yeah. Because they're trying to work out what the reality of the situation is rather than either prove what the reality is or do something yeah. first. So understanding what the marketplace is, what's happening out there. And, and it takes that objectivity and, and the, the lack of connection, I suppose, especially, oops, all right, I don't know why that's happening. Um, the, th that lack of emotional connection to be able to do that. And, yeah. and that's, that's kind of an, an important part of that, that process. Okay. Yeah, go on. Because I love it. Because I was, I was with a great guy who came and spoke at one of my inner circle meetings recently from South Africa, a guy by the name of Vic, and he shared this uh, incredibly powerful story about how he was running a board of directors, but he used to invite different people from the company to come and chair or be on the board. And in one of the meetings, um, which I thought was really interesting, perspective sort of strategically, and he invited um, the guy who was on the the gate at the front of the the, the business to come in and sit in the board meeting and, and give input, right? And, and he said he always used to invite different people from different parts of the business because they would get a completely different take on stuff. And during this board meeting, they were thinking about relocating the entire business sort of five miles down the road or something. And this, and this guy who was on the front gate said, that's a really bad idea. And everyone was like, look, it's going to make us more money. It's going to be this. And the guy on the front gate just went, it's a really bad idea. And everyone went, well, why? And he said, because 
you know, Joan and Jill and Marianne or whatever, he said they won't be able to come to work anymore. And then everyone's like, well, what are you talking about? It's five miles down the road. He said, yeah, but they walk three miles to get to work now. That would mean they'd be walking eight miles to get to work and they can't do that. And, he, and then the board had like, like, it was just, it was just a fascinating kind of conversation. And yeah. the, the irony of the whole story is they didn't move because, you know, that, that they suddenly realized that actually half of their entire team in South Africa walked to work and they, they, oh, had yeah. no, they just hadn't even triggered that. Mm. But the funny part of the story is where they were about, where they would have moved five miles down the road, a sinkhole developed like three years later. And had oh. they gone there, the very business would have literally fallen into the ground. So this guy they had on the board, and it's, it's not my story, it's his story, but this guy they had on the board who was at the front gate literally saved the company from ending up literally in a hole. <laughs> Yeah, we see this time and time again, particularly in times of uncertainty. It's that it's that initial kind of what's real, you know, what am I seeing here and not making any assumptions and yeah. or making the assumption that you don't know rather than say trying to say I know. And and that makes the big difference. And and, and that's one of the core differences that this two percent, these kind of what what we call generative leaders have. Right. They have that ability to be objective and say, I don't know. I need to discover. So it's a process of discovery and they ask all around. Yeah. Interesting. Where can you get that, Dave? Where can, just for those people who are listening in who might not know, where can, like that kind of research sounds fascinating. Like where could, where could we get re access to that research about generative learners and leaders? Like where, where would my audience find that, for example? Yeah. Okay. So um, I did a book in 2006 called The Ambiguity Advantage, which is, which is over that shoulder. There. Yep. Um, so all that research is in there in a very readable form. So it's not in a researchy type form. And it talks about that kind of range of reactions to uncertainty, um, right. right from what we call technical leaders. And these are the people who deny change. So, you, you know, you just look at the start of the, co the COVID thing. You know, the political leaders were going, oh, this isn't a problem. This, you know, it's not going to affect us. They were just in denial. They weren't seeing the data that was coming from all the other con countries right through to, as we say, the generative leaders who have this set of um, beliefs. They see the world very differently. They're doing things like and some of the things that you were talking about. You know, they're running experiments. Uh, they're looking for patterns mm. and they're looking and they're gathering data from lots of sources that lots of people wouldn't normally, you know, like the guy on the gate or the cleaner or whatever it happens to be yeah. because they're trying to build up a picture of what on earth is going on here yeah. and on that assumption that you know their ego isn't part of this yeah. and they don't that they they follow the data um and the evidence rather than following their own ego or what they're trying to do so and, and then there's a whole range so there's four main main modes of of being i suppose mode, modes of seeing but they're actually world views so there's four types of worldview that leads you into how good you are at dealing with uncertainty um wow. we'll, we'll do we'll do a, a, a podcast about it um yes, as we go about it. I'll, I'll, yeah, no, I'll no, i mean i just thought that would have been hugely uh huge, hugely insightful for people at the minute just because i that's yeah. i think i think how you deal with change is going to become one of the most important things over the next two, three, four, five years as a, in whatever you do, right? Whether you, and, and families are changing, businesses are changing, the yeah. world is going to change and it's not slowing down. So yeah. as we head towards society 5.0, you've yeah. really got to figure out what, how you deal with change and how, how 
how you need to personally pivot. And I think that's always important, I think, as well, because sometimes you think it's just a business that pivots and it's not. You can be you can pivot as an employee inside a business to shift the value that you create. Um, yeah. And you can also pivot the very industry that you op- you, you have a job in. Mm. So, you know, this yeah. this mindset that, you you know, I'm in this industry for life. No, forget it. That's that, that's mm. going to catch up with you. Yeah. And there's a cognitive pivot just in seeing the new world as it is. And, and then, as we say, getting your head around the new world and, and yeah. working out what's how it works is part of that that kind of cognitive pivot that we have, you know, we had to do right at the start of of uh, the coronavirus pandemic yeah. um, but we're going to have to do because this that you know people say when we get back to normal it you know it never it never goes back to normal no matter what happens we're we're, we're on a one-way path here there is never a back to normal yeah we jumped forward we jumped forward three years in terms of the technical evolution and yeah, technology yeah, I would say five yeah definitely three definitely. years in three months yeah and we, you know we, we we never go back as a society that we just don't do that mm. we go forward we don't go backwards right yeah. otherwise we you know and it happened when we went from the agrarian age to the manufacturing age it happened when we went from the manufacturing age to the you know digital age and it's happening yep. now as we shift into this the, the the next wave with ai learning and and you know the big data and all the things that are driving this yep. that frankly coronavirus is just it just that's just a trigger in in the journey and i was talking to my mastermind about this yesterday about the net you actually it's the second wave you want to pay attention not the second wave of the virus but the second wave of change that's coming which is going to be driven by ai big data you know um uh, the internet of things all of those those three those things that are coming together that's going to drive and accelerate change and if if you if you think you won't be affected by it, you are in that space of denial and you, you, you will be made irrelevant. You know, yeah. that's the sad fact is like the, the economy doesn't care. It will make you irrelevant. If you will not pivot, it mm. will make you irrelevant. You can either be relevant or you can be out. You can be gone. It's your choice. Right. Yeah. And that's brutal, but that's the world we live in. And it's not, it, it doesn't care. That's the harsh thing about it. When you realize it's not personal. So your choice to thrive or, or your choice to struggle is your choice. Yeah. Yeah. There are kind of considered to be kind of six, well, six drivers of change, but six forces um, that are exerted on us constantly that create the change. I've got to remember this. This is something I teach the students it's called Pestel, which is um, political change, which is yep. continual um, uh, environmental change. Yeah. Um, there's uh, scientific change, technological change. I can't remember what that's. Oh, um, economic change and, yeah. and legal change uh, and then societal change as well. I mean, it's done. Yeah. There's a big shift in societal change going on right now, right? Massively yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, you're getting a whole kind of, there's a rebalance, people craving for a rebalancing of the wealth equation. And, you know, that's going to drive different tax legislation without yeah. question. That's going to change all kinds of things. So mm. um, I think, you have, you know, I, someone said to me uh, on an interview the other day, they said, what's the number one ability you need to have in business to be successful? And I said, flexibility. <laughs> that's it yeah I said, it's not marketing it's not sales it's not mm. it's, it's flexibility if you're not flexible yeah. you will struggle period yeah and it's flexibility in here in in the head cognitive yeah. flexibility that ability to be able to see things as they really are yeah. uh and then in fact there are four what, what's it I, I get this okay so what one of the things that came out of the research for this book was that there are kind of four things that 
contribute to whether or not uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner is going to pivot, right? Okay. So the first one's the aspirations of the, um, of the business or the owner themselves. And what they've found is higher levels of aspiration that I want to do well, those kinds of things, predict a pivot. Um, the uh, proactive personality of the individual. Now, this whole idea of proactivity is getting really big in the research world. We're, we're finding that it's, it's connected to a lot of activity, particularly around entrepreneurs, but in organizations and things. So higher levels of proactivity, this desire to take action and to do things, as opposed to down at the other end, laziness. Um, no, big... I'm going to call you on that one, mate, because I, I disagree with that language type. I'll tell you why, because proactivity is something you can test for with the, the contribution compass profile. We call it activating energy. Yep. People with a lot of activating energy can, can be proactive because they have that inside of them. People yep. who are, um, let's just say, more sustaining energy, because that's the language we would use, they need activators to get them moving. Okay. So they need, so like, you know, Becky works for me. Becky's brilliant. But Becky has this profile that if I don't direct Becky and say, go do this, do this, do this, Becky will wait to be given instructions. Now, okay. Becky's not lazy at all, right? But Becky's entire profile lacks. No, she's, act not. Yeah. No, she's not. And you okay. know it, right? But Becky's profile lacks activating yeah. energy. So she needs to be activated by somebody with that kind of energy. So yeah. for me, this goes back to that whole thing of, look, you know, you can't manage everybody the same. And for me, proactivity is something you can measure. So if you haven't got enough proactivity in the organization, you need to recruit more proactivity. Or, and, and that's something you can test for, which yeah. is kind of quite exciting. Sorry, I took yeah. you off track. There, no, 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 no. I go with that. Go with that. Definitely. Okay. Um, so uh, the level of perseverance or grit that, it, that the individuals have, um, and then higher levels of perseverance also predicts um, the, the, the chances of uh, either no pivot or an iterative pivot. Um, and then the level of impulsiveness um, yeah. that, that has. And high levels of impulsiveness predict a complete pivot, um, but also predict sometimes lower levels of success in pivots because it's less thought through. Yep. So it's kind of counterbalanced with those things. So well, I've done, I've done that in my career as well. I think sometimes you get, you, sometimes you think it's a pivot when actually what you'll be, if you're being honest about it, it's that you just got bored and you wanted to do something else. And yeah. there's a big difference between a pivot and I'm just bored. I want to do something else. Yeah. Or you're just running away from something. <laughs> yeah. Or I don't want to deal, you know, confront the brutal facts. Right. So yeah. I don't want to deal with the reality that this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so two final questions then. Yeah, great so, conversation though, Dave. Yeah, I know, it's I'm really loads. I'm taking loads of notes here. I hope everyone listening to this is because I've written like a page and a half of notes just on what you'll say. <laughs> yeah, well, same here. It's, it's, anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice kind of interaction between the research and the, the, the kind of practicality. Yeah, of, yeah. So, so just from your experience, you know, what are the factors that lead to successful pivots for SMEs, for example, or organizations? Well, I think I think to be fair, we've probably covered most of them in the, in the last kind of five or ten minutes. I think it's that uh, the the ability to adapt and adopt new ways of working. I think it's the ability to to you know I talk about turning fear from a headwind into a tailwind. You know, it's like can you turn it into something that drives you forward rather than you know that you're so scared about what if we get it wrong, rather than going look we're just going to test rapidly test and evolve test and evolve test and evolve and lose this this concept of of failure. And I yeah. think. 
The other thing I would say, and, and you know, great, great research over the years by Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talks about this, where I learned it from, which is, you know, you know, he talks about the concept of bullets, not cannonballs, where, you know, like the armies that used to be successful were the ones that fired bullets until they knew they hit the target, then they'd fire the cannonball. Yeah. And I think a pivot is about fire small um, until you know that you, you found the flow, you found the new money source and then go big in. I think people who have, in my experience, failed with their pivots have, have gone, look, this is where I think the market is, let's go all in, only to find out they've sunk so much resource into it that the market actually isn't there or doesn't want what they think. And, uh, and now they've not got enough resources to get out and try again. And, and that's usually what leads, leads to failure. So I think get good at testing small uh, yeah. and the test and scale, test and scale, test and scale, r- rather than going, yeah, I, I think I'm, I trust my gut on that. Nine times out of 10, every time you think you're right, the market will come back and go, well, not really. And this, <laughs> it's like, so do your research and, and test small until you found, yeah, great, we found the flow. Here's where the money flow is now. Let's start moving into that and, and keep testing those assumptions. So I think for me, it's, it's about that. The, you know, the successful pivots of people have been not afraid to change. Don't see it as failure. Just see it as evolving um, and are prepared to, to let go of their current business model because they may actually end up with a better one, right? We've had clients oh, yeah. of ours in the last three or four months who've ended up with, with completely different businesses that they're sitting there thinking to saying to themselves, this is better than the one I actually had in January, right? It's like, it's actually better. I actually like this one. This one's better. And it's like, yeah, you know, look, pivot, pivoting and change isn't always going to end up with something worse. It's going to, something, nine times out of 10, it ends up with stuff better. But you would never have got the opportunity to, to let go of stuff and refine it um, without whatever's being forced upon you, being forced upon you, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so when I was doing the research for the book, we kind of kept, we realized, you know, from the research, there are seven um, largely success factors for pivots. Right. And, that, you know, you've covered them, which is brilliant. So the first one's what we call organizational ambidexterity. And that's that ability to be able to flex and change. Um, but also, so organizational ambidexterity is an idea about being able to, keep the money coming in from the existing yeah, some, that's you know, true. something going on whilst at the same time innovating and shifting and that's being a really key point that no, i know that. just what i want to because actually you just bring up something that that i think is really critical right is that most smes get stuck because the the pivot they either run out of money before they pivot and uh, that happens that's happened a lot in coronavirus where the entire revenue streams have dried up mm. the successful pivots happen you're right where they're able to start the pivot, but at the same time maintain an income stream yeah. so that they've got the time to, to test and measure. Whereas if, if you run out of the existing income stream, again, it creates too much stress, which clouds judgment, right? Yeah. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. Just no, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's, it's about building up a war chest um, or a disaster chest just in case, you know, as they say, cash is king. Yeah, 90 so- days. I would say everybody I know that's not, that's done really well in my client base, Followed the advice I've said for years, which is the minimum you should have in the bank at any given time is 90 days of operating cash, minimum. Um, And you should, in all honest, aim to get to 12 months. You know, Microsoft was famous for always having 12 months in the bank of operating costs as it grew all the time. So that if anything ever went wrong, they could always, you could weather the storm. You You weren't in a situation where you had to panic. 
And yeah. I think every one of the clients of mine that was reporting really great results yesterday has had at least six to 12 months worth of operating cash in the bank. They're able to, you know, in some cases, two of them actually bought competitors in the last 90 days because they had the liquidity to do it. So it's like, if you're not liquid, um, you're going to, it's, it's harder, right? Yeah. And that's delayed gratification. That means not taking every penny out of the business just because you're doing well. It means going, look, there's going to, winter's going to come. Spring happens, summer happens, winter happens. It doesn't matter how good things are now. Winter will come. You yeah. need to be preparing for winter, right? I, I live on a farm and, you know, I watch the farmers and like they get seasonality and seasons and business owners just don't. We yeah. think summer's going to last forever. No, winter will come, right? Regardless of what you do about it, it will come. Yeah, shift happens. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> anyway, sorry, what were the other seven? I'm, I'm loving yeah, No, no, no. So organizational ambidexterity. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, the second one is um, a learning and a problem-solving orientation and a culture within the, within the team, within the organization. Great. Um, and, and, you know, and we've talked and talked about this idea of having a learning orientation and, and being a veteran, trying to find out what's actually going on, learning. Yeah. yeah and and that's a, a major thing team composition which is a big issue that i know that you look at um and, and and that includes developing a team that has a learning orientation that has diversity in what we call domain ex, uh, expertise so you've got enough diversity within the organization in terms of their knowledge and their ability or you can bring it in quickly yeah kind of and, and again, you were talking about this in slightly different terms, having a systematic or scientific approach to experimentation. So it's not just all over the place. You're actually following leads of investigation and yeah. it's not just kind of random. Um, that, that links back, just, just if I can, just yeah, to please. So that links back to the team piece. And obviously, you know, I'm passionate about teams because I think it's the biggest thing that makes a difference to a successful business is whether you've got the right team. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, hence why I own a company called Team Dynamics. But the, the reality is everything you're talking about there in terms of research and data and analysis is what we would call refining energy in the contribution compass. And if you haven't got refining energy on the team, you're going to struggle because that, 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 the contribution people with that energy make is their ability to analyze data, see trends, look at the details and come back and what I call act on fact. Yeah. And that's where the refining energy adds massive value to the team. And that's its contribution. So if yeah. you don't have a balance of that energy on the team, you're always going to be acting on gut or instinct. And actually, sometimes you need somebody to go, well, hang on a minute. The data actually doesn't support remotely what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that brings me to the next thing, which is having an evidence-based approach that act on fact. You know, make yeah. sure that you're dealing with evidence here and not just your own assumptions. Uh, and, and the last, last thing for the, the team composition is creativity. So that there's like there's somebody or at least the team is developing, they can think about things. Yeah. And then the, the last four major things are proactivity, open innovation. And what that means is that you, you're doing environmental scanning. You're going out and looking and you, you're keeping your eye on what's going on out there, technologies and things and using them and bringing them in, following the feedback and the the evidence objectively objectively and then lastly kind of a systematic testing of hunches and hypotheses and yeah. they, they've been shown as the seven major kind of success factors for wow. pivots love, so, love it i mean like what's interesting is that 
uh, quite a few of those, funny enough, almost by design, although it wasn't intentional when I did it that way, uh, you know, a mastermind actually covers a lot of those off. Because if you don't have the creative energy, usually somebody in the, in the mastermind has the creative ideas and input. So if you're yeah. not creative, there'll be two or three other people in the mastermind who can bring their ideas. You can test stuff. We regularly have members who go, look, I'm thinking of doing this. They run it by and, and 11 other business owners go, that's a good idea or that sucks or I wouldn't do it this way. So you can test stuff in a, in a safe environment. And, and some of the feedback has saved people hundreds of thousands of pounds on things they thought were a great idea. And everyone in the room went, nah, that sucks. Don't do that. That's awful. Right. And like, like, so like, I think it's really interesting because I think a mastermind actually helps facilitate with quite a lot of the seven things, which is probably why so many in the members in the room yesterday have had really successful pivots in the last four or five months. There's, there's a, there's a reason why it's helped accelerate that, that success change. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and just being in that culture, um, yeah. you know, having people around you that are thinking like that makes a big difference rather than just being on your own. Well, do you know, yeah, I think isolation, but do you know, there's one other thing I think is really interesting is that when you see somebody else successfully pivot, um, I think it gives you the belief that you can do it. So like when you see somebody go, oh, look, we just changed this, this, and we're, and we're doing really great. And he, you go, well, if they did it, I can do it. That's a, that's a belief reinforcer. Yeah. Um, but, and I think that's, that's uh, for me, that's really a powerful piece as well. It's like, you're not just going, I'm the only one battling with this stuff. Yeah, what, what, one of the things that has come out a, a, a lot in the research and, and is becoming quite a theme is this idea of um, what they call self-efficacy, this right. belief that I can solve this problem. I don't know the answers, I don't know how to solve it, but I have a belief that I can conquer it, I can learn enough, and I can move through it. Yeah. And, and I think that's very much what you're saying. Well, certainty, isn't it? You're talking about certainty. You know, we, we talked yesterday about... Um, the kind of things that lead to actions and results. And the first one is certainty. If you don't have certainty, right, then you're not going to move forward. And if you can't see the potential and the possibility and the, the opportunity, it's yeah. like certainty, opportunity, action, result. It's like you've got to have the certainty that you can fix it. You've got to actually be aware of where the opportunity really is. Then you'll take action and then you'll get a result. Yes. And it's like, but there's those four steps. If I don't have any certainty that I can fix this, I'm not even going to look for the potential. We're not even going to go out and see where that might look. And uh, yeah. that's something I learned. I learned that model from Tony Robbins, you know, in terms of the, the, the idea that, look, you've got to have a level of certainty in who you are and your ability to fix this yeah. before you're ever going to see the potential you know, out there because you won't even look for it if you don't believe you can do it. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that self-belief, that self-efficacy is, is hugely important and it's coming out more and more and more in the research. Okay, final question then. So you've also, you've experienced... You're grilling the, me, man. You're grilling me. I know. <laughs> you, you've, you've, um, you've experienced them. You've seen yeah. them. So what are the leading kind of factors that bring about failure in a pivot? Um, well, I mean, I think again we've probably touched on a lot of these but i think for me it's it's the it's it's really operating in isolation if you get isolated and you think i'm going to try and figure this out all on my own that's certainly when i had a massive failure i, th I think the thing is it's not even a failure in pivot sometimes i think we've already touched on it number one is, is going in on your gut reaction not doing small data testing that's definite number two is trying to fix it all on your own to think that you've got to fix all the answers on your own rather than sitting down as a team and thinking how do we as a team solve this yeah. and actually listening to the and understand for me it's about not understanding the contribution that other people on the team can make to solving that problem yeah. so you assume that you have all the answers that's a massive 
massive one for me in terms of or why that people... you've got to solve the problem yeah it's like look we as a team it's the me versus we thinking if yeah. you get stuck in the me thinking rather than the we approach you're like we've got to solve this who who on the team knows about this who on the team can we reach out to not asking for help and support definitely for me it's like you know listen everybody needs help and support right there's something we could all learn from somebody else and, yeah. and not being open to that consistent learning i think and finally it's, it for me it was like it's it's not it's losing sight of who your customer is and actually what it, how are you trying to serve them and making it about how do we survive rather than how do we serve how do we serve and add value to customers and then the money follows and then thinking oh, i'm going to go out and just try and i need to sell and make money it's like when you have that mindset pivots yeah. don't work because you're not coming at it from the right integrity and intention yeah yeah that'd be, that'd be probably five was that five i think it was five yeah something like that yeah yeah cool oh nice list Okay, let me give you my list from the research. Great, okay, great. I'll, I'll hang on a second. There's a test. Nobody no, 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 no. <laughs> so um, what we found is um, the number one is exactly what you were talking about before, just a lack of creativity. Um, the second is having a mixed mindset. Um, and this is things like avoiding challenges, giving up too easily, um, reacting negatively or defensively to feedback, um, avoiding negative feedback self-aggrandizement um, uh, and, and that, just that sense of feeling threatened by others. It's denial, um, I think, isn't it? Denial, you could pretty much... Yeah, denial, definitely. Yeah, that's part of that, yeah, yeah. which is definitely comes under the fixed mindset. Um, a victim disposition, which is showing up very strongly for failures, um, yeah. which kind of links to people who don't want to take responsibility or, or they've got a blame culture, so they blame everything else you know it's the world it's the government it's everybody else rather than taking kind of responsibility and saying right okay regardless of what this is it goes back to that whole self-efficacy self-belief thing i'm going to fix this i'm going to sort it out yeah um a, a feeling of dependency so that you know you can't make the decisions you've got to depend on others um and then liking and this was an odd one but it was a really interesting couple of studies about wanting to identify as a martyr so, <laughs> some people get off on that don't they big time yeah. it's like, woe is me i'm being persecuted again it's like it's so so unfair it's, oh god yeah. i hate that that drives yeah. me crazy because it's it's just i know it's like it, it, in which we've i mean you've heard me talk about this before it's what we call below the line thinking the whole mm. kind of below the line i'm going to blame everybody else woe is me the world's picking on me listen life is tough i'm sorry it's tough it's brutal it's not personal and if you take it personally it will destroy you right it's it's not listen if we're all going to face difficulty and tragedy and if you're in the this is something i'd, I'd share just before we wrap up is that if you're going to play the game of business long enough, you are going to have failures, right? Because you have to do the whole cycle of business. It yeah. is a cycle. And one of the best questions I ever got asked was somebody said to me, how many times have you been around the wheel? And I went, what? And they said, how many times have you been around the cycle? Because cycle is start up, scale up, and then fail, right? Like, like how many times have you failed? It's like, because if you haven't done the whole cycle, you've never experienced the entire journey of running a business. It's like, you have to get away from it. it's personal. You're not, you are not the business. The business is just what you're building right now. You are not the business. And sometimes you're going to get it right. And sometimes you're going to get it horribly wrong. And if you yep. take it personally, if you really take it as it's you, it's not, this is who I am. No, it's not. This is just what you're doing right now. You yep. are running this business. That's not who you are. You've got to be able to separate the identity mm. between what you do and who you are. Mm. Otherwise you, you're never going to successfully adapt and evolve as a yep. business. 
You just yeah, not... just because a business fails doesn't mean you failed. No, and yeah. it's by the way, and what is failure anyway? It's like look, some Feedback. of the you and I have had some. You know, we both experienced failures, right? But every time yeah. you get failure, it depends whether it makes you better and stronger, yeah. or whether you decide to run from it. You mm. can either go, listen, I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to get better from that, and I'm going to come back stronger. Great, it's a test. It's a test, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yes, it is, without a doubt. So the last three, um, so a lack of proactivity, not, not yeah. actually doing something. Um, and, and then the, and the last two are interesting. Having a sense that your business is locked into a particular product, service, or business model. Um, I've seen that a and, lot, actually. Yeah, and, and it's that kind of cognitive tunneling and, and the decision-making tunneling. And then last is just being too emotionally attached to your ideas. Um, and, and all of those six were found to be the most frequent um, uh, factors in failure for pivots. I think they'd be the most frequent factors in failure for just about business period, right? Life, probably. Well, yeah, life. I mean, if you get, I think that's if you get attached to any of this, you have to be able to stay nimble and go, it doesn't, you know, my favorite thing I say to clients all the time is it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what your customers will pay for. It, nobody cares whether you think this is a good product. Nobody cares. It's like the market is going to tell you whether it's a good product and it actually solves a problem and you've got to get your ego out of the way. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're in for a very disappointing journey. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Brilliant. Great. Um, Great anything else? Man. Loved it. Really enjoyed I, it. I know. It's been interesting, isn't it? Really interesting. And, and any other final points you want to make? I'm just... Just, yeah, I suppose, where can my audience find out more about yes, your research? I, I was going to ask, where, where can we find you, Paul? Uh, well, I mean, I'm fairly easy to find. Luckily, I have a really unusual surname. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Paul Avins. You can go to paulavins.com where you'll find resources. There's free videos on there. There's free eBooks, guides. Um, there's stuff on there about the team, uh, team profiling that we do. You can find a free report on there, 18-page leadership report on there about successful team building, which is useful given what we talked about. Mm. Um, so just go to paulavins.com and you can find out more about just about everything that I do uh, and how I support entrepreneurs to successfully pivot. So yeah, go there or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's always good to connect. I post daily with tips and wisdom and advice and things like that. So I cool. yeah, just love to hear what people got out of this and what they found valuable actually. It'd be great to get some feedback. Yeah, yeah, yes, it would, and um, I'll I'll put the links into um, connecting with Paul in the in the show notes. Oh, awesome! That'd be brilliant. I tell yeah. you what, if that's all right, can I give your listeners a gift? Would that be all right? I kind of yeah, like of course. To yeah. So, um, what we talked a bit about the profiling and proactivity and the right kind of thing. So, we actually have a we'll put together a page just for your audience where if they go to contributioncompass.co.uk forward slash special offer. Yeah, right. and you can put the link in the show notes. But if you yeah, just sure. go to contributioncompass.co.uk forward slash special offer, then you can save. I think it's twenty percent off the price of a profile if you want to find out more about one there. So you can just go there and and actually take one and save twenty percent. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah, send me over the link and I'll yeah. I'll stick it in the show notes. Awesome. That's man. been fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate it. Privilege, man. It's Absolutely. Been... Seriously, Dave, just I love our conversations. Every time I talk to you, I always go away inspired and then with a whole <laughs> load of notes to go away and do more about. So um <laughs> Yes, yeah, well likewise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really brilliant. Thanks it. for having me on the show. Man. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening Bye. to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com.
And please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. Thank you.